0: Good morning. Our reading this morning is in the book of Psalms. It's one of the Psalms. It is Psalm 24. It is the entire Psalm. Please feel free to read along in a Bible you brought yourself or one in the pews or um, be blessed by listening. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it among the rivers. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Father God, I am so thankful that you have created this world, and uh, there is nothing that transpires that is not seen by you or directed by your hand. Um, Lord, help us to have peace in that, knowing that. Uh, that it is your world, and, and you are Lord of it. And, and Lord, give, us, give me and, and us, the, the um, Lord, to, to look for ways that we can tell others who the King of glory is, Lord, that it is you, the Lord strong and mighty, and they can put their faith in you and, and not in, in any of the craziness of this world. Um, Lord, I want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to worship you in music, in the reading of your word, and uh, in the preaching of the same. Uh, Lord, I want to, uh, if I pray that you'd bless Steve Altman, that you'd, uh, put in his mind what you'd have him teach us and help us to have ears to hear, that we would take to heart, uh, the message today. And one more thing, if we could pray for the, uh, the the healing of uh, of our pastor Steve and his family, uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, you you would r- relieve their aches and pains, Lord, and you would bring them healed, so that um, so Lord that uh, we can we can see them next week, in your name we pray, Amen.
1: I don't know if some of you are concerned, but you don't need to be. Um, they are paying me double pay because I'm doing both the music and the uh, and the sermon. So I'm not getting cheated up here. It is a privilege to do it. I I know um, sometimes there's a, there's a an awesomeness to it because you are teaching the Word of God, and the Bible warns about uh, not taking it lightly, and that uh, because the, you're giving more privileges and things, God expects more of you, so I, I take that with a, with a thought as I get to, uh, the opportunity to share. I'm, I'm sorry that Steve, Steve is sick. I enjoy teaching, so it's not a, certainly not a burden for me. It's something I really enjoy doing. Uh, I had a little more notice this time, so it'll be less of a sermonette and maybe more of a sermon. We'll see. He called me Saturday, so I had a little bit more time to look at it. I'm going to teach from um, the book of First Peter in the first chapter. If you want to turn there, really going to be looking at verses uh, 13 and 14. But I am going to the, the the verses that precede that are kind of an intro, so we'll be looking at those as well. When the Apostle Paul, I guess when he was in prison and um, Peter was still in Jerusalem and kind of leading the church, he actually looks like asked Peter maybe to write back to some of the churches that he had gone to and started to lift them up and make sure that they were still strong in the faith and that they were encouraged and things. So the, the epistles that Peter writes back especially this first one, seems to be written to the churches, the the Christians all over that are having issues and struggles. They were in a time when Rome was starting to persecute Christianity, probably just before Nero and all of the things that went on with the uh, killing of Christians. Their own countrymen, the Jews, hated them. There was always... Condemnation and shunning, and they were kicked out of the synagogues, and they were really just almost like people without a family. So that's very, very difficult to be in a situation like that and still has to stand on your own. So the churches they were in the the uh, home churches and and things that were started that was like a family to them, and they needed that. They needed that strength. So Peter is writing back, and he is. Encouraging them of how they were supposed to be living as Christians, what it really meant to be a Christian. And that was not something easy. He's not going to ask them and talk to them uh, like little easy things to do. You know, they used to, what was that song, uh, Sunshines, Lollipops, Rainbows, Everything is Wonderful? Christianity's not that way. Uh, You may think that. You're going to get saved, and maybe you thought that when you first got saved. I'm going to get saved, and everything's going to be wonderful. No more issues. Satan's not going to be bothering me anymore, and I'll just be happy all the time and joyful. And you walk out of the church, and Satan hits you in the back of the head with a baseball bat. It's like, whoa, what happened? I don't understand. It's not an easy life. God told you there would be persecution and difficulty in all of our lives. Not an easy assignment, so... To get them ready, this is going to be kind of these first few verses are a motivational speech. Um, Now, lady, I'm sorry, I'm I'm already ahead of time, lady, I'm going to be apologizing to the ladies. A lot of my references are going to be sports references, okay? I know if you don't like sports, you can roll your eyes every time I say something, it's okay, I understand. If you don't understand, just raise your hand and, and one of the men next to you will try and explain what it is that we're talking about. But... You ever see sometimes when you're watching the football games, either after the game or mo- mostly before, the coach will get in there with all the players, and he's trying to get them ready, right? He's got this rah-rah speech, you know. We prepared all year for this, and we're going to get there, and we're going to rip their heads off, and we're, you know, just really laying it on thick that they're going to go out and conquer and everything, right? I couldn't think of a of a of an illustration for ladies unless it was maybe. Black Friday, the malls are going to be open at four, and we're going to be ready to go. And you, is that it? Not the same. Okay. Anyway, motivational. Peter's trying to get them ready for what he's fixing to tell them, because he's going to tell them some hard things, some difficult things that they're going to be facing. Trying to get them excited. So he starts with verse three. Praise be to God, our Father, in His great mercy, He's given us a new birth. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I love, I'm gonna be quoting mostly from King James. This is a new international I, I just read from, but the King James is so cool that he he talks about being born again to a living hope. So as Christians, you before you were a Christian, you were dead as far as God's concerned. You had nothing to do with him. If you read the Bible, it was just a waste of time. It didn't make any sense. You had nothing compelling you to want to serve God or anything else. But Jesus made you born again. He creates a new man, a new woman inside of us that loves God and wants to serve Him and wants to live for Him. So you're born again. That's why they use that phrase, born again. A new Nehemiah, I mean, uh, um, Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, am I supposed to get back in my mom's womb? What are you talking about? He says, no, it's going to be a spiritual birth. So now you're going to be born again, the fact that we're not dead anymore, and we're heading for heaven. man, that's a, that's a motivational that's part of Peter's motivational speech. You're not dead anymore, you're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. God has got you right where He wants you." He's prepared, in verse four, he says, "And in inhev- an inheritance in heaven waiting for you." Now, as working all my life, I work. I just happen to work for a company that provides me with a, um, a a pension when I leave there. Not all the companies have that, but I got a pension. I got a four hundred and one k where I put some of my money. I got my own savings. I got social security that's coming. And like two years ago, I was like, "Yeah, baby, I'm I'm ready. This is looking good." And then. Two years later, I'm going, I wonder if I'm going to have enough money. <laughs> Everything seems to be going to pot. I don't have to worry about what's up there, right? What you put up there, it's safe. There's no inflation in heaven. Not going to eat up your, your rewards up there. There's no maws. No hurricanes going to blow your house away. Nothing. You are safe. Everything that you put into heaven ahead of you, it's there. It's guaranteed, and you don't have to worry about it. That's cool, man. That's a, he's, he's getting me now. Peter's getting to me now. Okay, Mo, get a little motivational. He's li, he's getting where I'm living. And then f- the fifth verse, he says, "And don't worry about thinking that you somehow you got to hold on by your fingernails and to make it to heaven. God's working in you all the way to the end." In verse four, he says that rejoice that, excuse me, you're you're shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation to be revealed in the last times. God is going to take care of you. He is working in your life and he's going to keep working in it all the way until he calls you home. You're not working your way to heaven. You're not got to do all these things or God's going to turn his back on you or get upset or whatever it is. God's in charge. He's got you I got your back, okay? So Peter's, okay, Peter, you got me. I'm motivated. Now what are you going to tell me? Because it's going to be tough. But he's got his motivational speech. He's got his people ready. So then he starts, we skip over to verse 13. And he says, therefore, uh-oh, he's fixing to get some, some heavy stuff, right? He says, all these great things you got, man, Woo!" He says, therefore, okay, what is it, Peter? What are you fixing to tell us? In King James, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. Isn't that an interesting phrase? (laughs) Gird up the loins of your mind. What what are you talking about there? In the Old Testament, the uh, Jews used to wear long flowing robes, right? So if they were going to go into battle, if they were going to do work, hard work and things, they would take and they would pull it up. And with a belt and stuff, they tie it up tight around their waist so they're not tripping over it while they're working and stuff. So when he's talking about girding something up, he's talking about getting ready, getting yourself prepared. The, The getting your mind ready, gird up the loins of your mind, is the idea of getting your mind set for hard work. Getting your mind set for battle. I like the phrase... This one isn't a, well, a, 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 um, I'm struggling today. It's not a, a sports phrase, but it's one you probably heard. You've got to get your mind in the game. It's not limited just to sports, but you've got to get your mind in the game. You know what that means, right? Whatever, you got, whatever you're doing, keep your mind on what you're doing. How many of you all have ever driven home and all of a sudden, you look behind you and all the lights are red and you're wondering, did I just run 12 red lights or were they all green when I was going through? Because <laughs> you're just, you're used to right, just driving along, nothing, nothing, nothing. All of a sudden something pulls in front of you. Is your mind on it? Are you ready? You got your mind in the game. Almost anything you do in life that's worthwhile, if you're going to do it, you got to have your mind on what you're doing. You can't just let your mind wander and expect to have good results. If you're cooking, if you're working, if you're driving, whatever it is, you've got to have your mind on what you're doing. You've got to be in the game. 1 Peter 5.8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary the devil is walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Um, Sentries that are on duty, they don't go to sleep. I could ask Jeff militarily, if they catch you sleeping on duty, it's not a fun process. I don't think good things happen to you. They don't just wake you up and say, hey, try and stay awake from now on. There are consequences. If I can't imagine what it was like, but in the time of like these, the, the uh, Jerusalem, you've got guards on every corner of the, of the wall watching for enemies coming. It's your job to make sure that everybody's aware of what's going on. You go to sleep, you take your mind on what you're doing. next thing you know, the city's overrun, and you're dead, everybody's dead. You got to take it seriously. Your Christian life is not something we can just la, 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 la la through. Satan, I, I got news for you, Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy you. You understand that? He wants to ruin your life. He wants you to be miserable. He wants you to fall away as far as you can from God. He is not satisfied with just leaving you alone and let you live your Christian life however you want. You've got to be vigilant, alert, aware. Ephesians 5.15 says that we're supposed to walk circumspectly in the world. It has the idea of carefully. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, you've got to have your head on a swivel? Okay, some of the older folks there. Even the younger is a good job. So... It's like, you're, you're, you're making, <laughs> I'm making sure nobody's sneaking up on me, nothing, you know what I mean? you got to be, yeah, when you see in, in the sports, you see the, the guy catch the football, he doesn't just run straight down the field. He's checking out who's around him, who's by him, is, you know wants to know who's fixing to tackle him, if he can make some moves and things, all those. So you got to be alert. you got to be vigilant, careful when you're there. He also says in that same verse that we have to be sober. Now that's literally I guess the opposite of being drunk, but it has the idea of now there's another phrase, having your wits about you. You've heard that one, haven't you? You're 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 not just off uh airhead somewhere or not ever. It's a um that same verse in First Peter, he talks about the first. The second part says be sober, First part says be sober. Second part says vigilant. The sober is watchful, serious about what you're doing. Uh, in First Thessalonians five eight, he says we're of the day. He's comparing us to the people that don't know Christ, don't know anything about God and the the end times and things. It says they're going to be caught totally surprised. They have no idea. They're the people of the night. They're walking around in darkness and they have no clue. We're people of the day. We know what's coming. We know to be vigilant. We know to be watchful. We know to be aware of what's going on. To be sober. That's what God wants us to be. He also says in that same verse that we are to Hope fully in the grace to be given to us when Jesus Christ is revealed. So are you hoping fully in Christ? Are you looking to His coming? Are you looking forward to going to being with Him? Um, The phrase for me is, eyes on the prize. You've heard that, right? You gotta, you're you looking ahead when you are a runner. You see the, the end, the tape that you're running towards. If you're any job that you're doing, when they drop that stack of things in your to-do box or whatever it is, you're looking for that bottom page, right? When you turn that last one, and there it is. Yes, I'm done. Eyes on the prize. For us as Christians... The prize is obviously being in heaven with God one day and those rewards that he was talking, Peter talked about earlier. We can't get wrapped up in this world. We have to be looking to our goal, where we're going to go. When, when he talks about in um, Hebrews chapter 12, Talks about not being conformed to this world, but be transformed by your mind, remi- renewing of your minds. He says, looking unto Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one we're looking to. Where he is is where we want to be. What he wants us to do is the prize, the, the goal, the, the job that we've got set before us. Every day when I sign on my computer at work. There's a list of you know 20 or 30 jobs that they want me to try and complete that day. That's my goal is to try and do as many of those as I can. They pay me to do that. They desire for me to do that. I want to do the very best I can for them and for God, and I want to do the best job I can. So I look at that, that list, and I determine what's the most important of those things, and I get them done one by one i got my eyes on finishing what God wants me to finish that day and what Tico wants me to finish that day. So as Christians, we've got our eyes on the prize too. We're hoping for the end of our redemption is what he says the prize is there. It's going to be revealed when Jesus Christ comes back. So you you know your salvation isn't complete right now, right? So... Salvation is a, really a three-step process. There's the beginning of it when you first accept Jesus as your Savior. You're born into the kingdom of God. Then you got the middle, which is, they call that sanctification. That's being made like Jesus. It's living every day. It's praying. It's reading His Word. It's trying to be more and more like Him while we're here on earth. That's our job here on earth, telling other people about Him, living so that other people see him in us. But our salvation isn't complete until Jesus comes back. Then he's going to make us into his image and give us our heavenly home and our place of service, whatever it is in his kingdom. That's the end of your salvation. This is all just the getting there. We're looking forward, to our eyes on the prize, is what it really. That's the good part, the very best part, when one day He changes us into His image, and that's what He wants us to be focused on. That's what helps me live now when things start getting rough. And you say, Satan says, why don't you just quit? This is this. this is a lot of effort, you know. If you just, why don't you just go with the flow? Okay. You ain't got to keep doing this stuff. Just, you know, sit in the pew and and do whatever, and then you'll get to heaven one day. Or maybe turn your back on God because he's let you down too many times or whatever he's going to try and convince me of. If I got my eyes on the prize, I could go, hey, I don't care what you say. (laughs) You know, you could, yeah, it's rough right now. But I tell you what, in a few years, I'm going to be there, and I know where you're going to be. He wouldn't like to hear that either because he's going to be in a lake of fire and I'm going to be in a heavenly home. But i got my eyes on the prize. I want to I try, no matter what comes, to keep remembering what I've got in Jesus and what the end is going to be. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, God reminds us that he put his Holy Spirit in us as a down payment. So one day he's going to come back and finish the job and take us home. If you ever bought a car, a house, you know what a down payment is. You put some down and they give you the thing and you keep it until it's finally paid for. And then they give you a little piece of paper that says it's all yours. And right now we got a down payment, the Holy Spirit living us. And that convinces us. Every time we sense the Holy Spirit in us, we know we're God's. And that one day he's going to finish that and take us home. And he's going to say, here's your deed to your new house. <laughs> and your forever life. Uh, Philippians 1 6 says that he's going to finish the work that he starts in you. That's a promise. He's going to finish the work that he starts in you. So it sounded pretty good, the things that he's talking about, but there's still more uh, things we've got to do. As obedient children, uh oh. How about the phrase that pays, do, do as, as I told you? How many like that phrase? Didn't you love to hear that when you were a kid? Do as you're told. Everybody loved that? I was just loved that. My parents, yes, yes, okay. No? Wow. I'm surprised some of y'all. Shame on you that you were not just so anxious to do everything your parents or teachers or whoever told you to do, or your drill sergeant or whoever. <laughs> They didn't always tell you nice ways. We don't. That, that, that stirs the uh, hackles on the back of our neck when somebody tells me what to do. Somebody orders me. I'm supposed to be obedient to somebody else. Wait a second. I'm a free person. I'm not a, I'm not a slave to anybody. Bible says you are. You're God's child. You're his servant. And he has something that he wants you to do and he wants you to obey. That's against our nature to just willingly give up and want to surrender ourselves and our wills. i got two scenarios for you. See if this helps you with the obey thing. Number one, you're in a room. There's a bomb in there ticking down, fixing to go off. You're locked in, can't get out. There's a guy in there with you who's a bomb expert, and he's ordering you to do things to defuse that bomb. Is that hard to obey that? <laughs> yes, what's next? Please tell me. Whatever, anything you say, sir, I will do it, right? That makes sense. It's your life. Boom. So you're going to do whatever that guy says. Nobody has any trouble following those orders, do you? That's a great scenario. Now i got another one. This is the spiritual scenario, and tell me if it doesn't, it shouldn't be the same. How would you react? to being told how to have the greatest life you can possibly have. You going to turn that down? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, guidance, protection. You going to turn that down because somebody's telling you what to do? (laughs) God's going to tell us what to do, and if we do what he says, we're going to have all those things. But it's still something in the back of my mind says, okay, God, you're going to tell me what to do, okay? Okay. Somehow I can't get through that through my thick head that all he wants is to give me joy and the greatest life I can possibly have, but I'm still fighting with him about it, still having a hard time saying, okay, I'm going to be an obedient child and do what you say. It just blows my mind that I'm that stupid, but I am. Uh, to listen, to submit is what it means. Luke six forty six, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Ooh, wait a second now. We want to start all our prayers with, Lord, thank you for today. <laughs> you realize what you're saying. God who controls every part of my life and who's in charge, and I want to obey in every way, how about this? That's what you're saying when you're saying, Lord. We're, that's that's our attitude is supposed to be. And... Uh, James 1.22, he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, right? Okay, God, you tell me this. Okay, I look in the mirror and I say, okay, and then I turn around, walk away, and do whatever I want. That's not obedient children. I'm sure some of them are looking at Peter and going, okay, but this, it's tough, you know, Pete. Yeah, it is tough, Pete. But that's what he wants. That's what God wants. And he says, not fashioning yourselves or conforming yourselves to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. How many of you have trendy tennis shoes? <laughs> how, many, how many of you have a pair of jeans with cuts in them and the rips and things? How many of you? <laughs> I could find something. I got two. How many have a 46-inch TV in your living room? Okay, conform to the world. We're living in this world, let's face it, they, the world has an influence on me whether I like it or not. They do. I don't like to be thought of as weird. I know you wouldn't guess that for most of my actions around here, but I don't like being thought of as weird. I want to fit in. I don't want to be an outcast. I don't want other people to laugh at me or, or be mean to me or anything else. I want to get along. But we're not of this world. We ain't going to get along. They don't, we don't see eye to eye. We're, we're not going to ever see eye to eye. We're not ever going to have the same purposes in life and desires and things. So we can't... The, some of the translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't become an earthling <laughs> or whatever it is that, that that mold is. It's there. God wants us to be different. He says we're a peculiar people. That fits me. Okay, I'm, I'm good on that. We're, we're different. God made us different. Now that we're, we're Christians, we're not the same anymore as the, as the rest of the world. Um, the little phrase that pays, I thought, is I want to be like Mike. Everybody remember that? All right. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player ever lived. Everybody wanted his tennis shoes. Kids, they were going to their mothers, who were making two hundred bucks a week, and saying, "I want a pair of hundred dollar tennis shoes." Right? <laughs> not going to happen. Kmart specials is what I got because I'm not buying that, and I'm not going. I'm not fitting in that mold. But that's they they they, they wanted that. Everybody wants to be liked like that everybody wants to fit in romans 12 2 says don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by renewing your minds the whole key is god changes our mind and the way we think about things and then we won't be conformed because that won't make sense anymore all the things the world wants to do it doesn't make sense to me anymore why would i want to do that First John 1 John 1.15, he says, Don't love the world or the things that are in the world. All those things have a pull of, for us. Our old man, you, even though you're a new Christian, you got a new guy in there, you got that old person too, and he loves those things. He loves the world and the things that are in the world. So you got to kind of duke it out with him. The new guy's got to duke it out and win that battle. And then last, the last thing he says, but just as he who has called you is holy, be holy in everything you do. Because it's written, be holy, because I'm holy. Holy means set apart for God. Holy means living righteously. Uh, How many of you are familiar with this phrase? I don't drink, cuss, smoke, chew, or go with women who do. Nobody knows that one. Wow, I'm just that's, that's, that's pretty famous. It's a famous phrase. God doesn't want us to live like we did before we were saved. A lot of times, Paul said those were things you used to do. <laughs> used to, past tense, not now. If you go and. Uh, Galatians, when he lists the fruits of the Spirit, before he lists them, he says, the fruits of the old guy are, and he starts listing all of those in there, lying, and cheating, and stealing, and you name it.